thank you again for coming to join us this morning here at Every Nation Church Las Vegas. Uh, so hello to you. Hello to everybody listening online. I know a lot of people stayed home today to, in the name of caution and care for the greater community. So we know you're there. We know you're listening. Hello. And uh, thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, glad you could join us online. Now, before I get started, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about this conference. It's really going to change lives. We, we pray that God would send laborers, right? Uh, we pray that God would send leaders, and we've seen incredible things happen come out of these moments. Uh, the turning point in my life with God was at one of these college conferences. And having walked with Tam at UNLV over the past few years, that was the case for her too. And I do want to recognize Tam. She's been incredible in the uh, preparation for this conference. Shout out to Tam. Shout out to Caleb. Maverick is here. Maverick's an incredible student leader. Honestly, one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, were it not for them, I, campus ministry might not exist right now. And I can guarantee you the conference would not be happening because I simply don't have the capacity to do all that by myself. So they're making it happen. And with, when we as a church say we value every generation and the next generation, we need people to come with us and help champion that. And that's exactly what they're doing. So they're doing a phenomenal job. I just want to say thank you guys uh, in front of everyone because you're really just making a huge difference. So we're continuing our series called Tying the Knot, Tighten the Knot. And uh, the idea behind the series is to create greater clarity around God's intent and idea for marriage. So this is part three, third sermon in this series. But I got to be honest, preparing this one was a little difficult because I ran out of something this week. I ran out of something that I really need. Now, isn't it difficult when we run out of something that we need? We're trying to live our lives. We're trying to move forward. We need something. And there's just not enough of that thing. Now, when people leave the house, a lot of times they have a checklist. Anybody have a checklist? Especially forgetful people like me and Pastor Roland, bro. God has us working together for a reason. A lot of people, it's like, okay, phone, wallet, keys. What's on your checklist? That's it? Yeah, for most people, that's the main things. Phone, wallet, uh, keys, water. Kids is pretty important. You might want to check for those. I mean, it's not like they can get anywhere, so I'm, sure, I'm assuming it's going to be okay. Let's not leave that up to chance, though. So my checklist has an extra item, phone, wallet, keys, and if you know me, what's my fourth one? Mask. It's chapstick. Chris knew the answer. Phone, wallet, keys, and chapstick. Now this past Friday, we hung out with our youth, and I thought I had it, and I didn't, and I was suffering the entire time. I was miserable. I needed something and didn't have it, but that's not what made it difficult to preach this week, not what made it difficult to prepare. There are only a few things I really need in this life. I need God. I need him. In him we live and move and we have our being. He is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him we can do nothing. I need his love. I need his spirit. I need his presence. I need God. And I need my family. They are not an option anymore. I need them. I need their love. I need their support. I need my mom. She's indispensable because she lives with us. And I need coffee. I really, really, really need coffee. Like, day starts out, it's hard. Give me Jesus, give me coffee. Let's face the world. 
Let's get it. But this past week, I ran out of coffee. So for Christmas, Jerrica asked for an espresso machine, and I thought it was completely unnecessary. We already had a Keurig. I was like, Nestle is evil. Nestle steals water, and they give you chocolate to make you feel better. But then we got the Nespresso, and it's game-changing. It's really, really good. So I can't go without it now, but we ran out of the pods this week. So looking forward, in advance, we ordered the pods ahead of time. We ordered 100 of them. I need coffee. But then we get an email saying that the order was delayed. I can't live like that. So I went to Starbucks and got cold brew for the next morning. And then we also ordered 30 pods on Amazon because the Amazon pods would show up the next day. Well, I order these pods on Amazon. I'm like, okay, we're good. We don't know when this delay is coming through, but we have what we need. And an hour after I ordered the pods on Amazon, we get an order from Nestle saying that their pods shipped. I'm telling you, they're evil. But they make good coffee. So now we've, we've got 30 Nestle pods and over 100 more on the way. I have what I need now regarding coffee. But there are other things we can run short on. Things that are a little more important. We can run short on money. We can run short on time. But there's something we run short on that's even more important than time. Even more important than money. And we probably fall short of this thing and run out of it more often. Because we can run short on love. What do we do when love falls short? Because when love falls short, it makes things difficult. And yet it's inevitable. What are we supposed to do about this? Let's find that out after we pray this morning. God, we thank you that your love doesn't run dry. And you want to help us figure out what to do when love falls short. So Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts and speak to us in a way that causes us to live more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, in case it wasn't obvious, and it probably should be at this point, uh, we need to love one another. Pretty important, especially as Christians, to love one another. One of the main ideas of Christianity, one of the main things we believe in, Jesus was asked on multiple occasions, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, etc., and love your neighbor as yourself. Really important. And we see it again, and we'll see it throughout our main text today in Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, and here's what he wrote in verses 1 through, through 3 of Ephesians chapter 4. And he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all, say all, all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here Paul proposes this incredible vision of human interaction and ways for us to get along with one another. And this vision includes humility. God is calling us to be humble instead of being proud. And I think a lot of times we don't necessarily choose to be proud on purpose, right? I don't wake up and roll out of bed one morning and say to myself, I'm going to walk through life today with a load of arrogance. And everyone's going to smell the aroma of arrogance all around me. And it's going to be wonderful. Most people don't decide to be proud. But pride creeps in. 
And I think pride often creeps in. It's not the only way, but one way is that when we compare others to ourselves and to our opinions, and we make ourselves and our opinions the standard by which everyone else must live by. That's one way that pride creeps in. Instead, God calls us to be humble. Now, how does humility happen? It's the opposite. Because instead of comparing others to ourselves, we compare ourselves to God. And we compare ourselves to God's word. And when we do that, we see our need, the places in which we can grow, but we also see a God who loves us and will help us get there. So we're called to walk in humility and in gentleness. Gentleness refers to being mild or being meek. Now, meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is power withheld for a purpose. I like to play with Allie, and I like to wrestle her a little bit because I don't have any sons, and I have a second girl on the way, and I'm not going to wait, so I'm just going to wrestle my girl. But when I wrestle with her, I'm not using all my strength. I'm using enough to have fun. And meekness means we use enough of our strength to honor God and live the way he's called us to live. Gentleness. And then there's patience, which is literally, in a biblical sense, long-suffering. Uh, Allie and Jerrica aren't here this morning because she got a classroom cold, tested negative for COVID. We, we know there's a bug going around in her school. They're, they're good. They're fine. Uh, but she's been coughing all week, especially at night. And over the last couple nights, my suffering could last no longer because I've lost enough sleep. And as I said before, I don't have any coffee. So what am I supposed to do? So now Jerrica's like, okay, I'll go check on her. It's okay. It's fine. But patience is long-suffering. It's the ability to bear a burden without disturbing someone, without hurting or annoying or aggravating someone, etc. But on top of all of these great things, the most important part of this picture of human interaction that Paul is painting, and this is a picture that applies to all relationships, but especially marriage, especially love, it's bearing with one another in love. That's the most important piece of the puzzle here. And I wanted to know exactly what Paul meant by bearing with one another in love. So to bear with one another in love implies that we need to endure or that we need to complete a process. God is calling us to complete the process of loving each person around us. Now, thankfully, that process is different for each person. It would not be good or healthy or wise for me to love the drive through worker the same way that I love my wife. It's probably a bad thing. It's not a good thing for me to love Ali's teachers at preschool the same way that I love Ali. That would be weird. I don't think they would appreciate me wrestling them or tickling them. There is a different process by which I must love those people. So we're called to love people according to a process. And there are moments in our lives where we should invest in people, invest in relationships. And there are moments in lives where we're called to not invest, but to bless from a distance. And that's fine. But God is calling us to complete the process of loving each person around us appropriately. And if we can do all these things, just think about that. If we can be humble and gentle and patient, and if, if we can bear with one another in, in love, it's like Louis Armstrong. I see trees of green and red roses too. It's a wonderful world. 
Unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. Because while we need to love one another, we also understand that our love falls short. Now, Jesus called us to love each other, and I checked on this, uh, with the places in which he says, love your neighbor in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And by the way, also in the Old Testament, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there are no restrictions placed on this command. Love your neighbor on Tuesday through Saturday and not on Sunday. Nothing like that. So that means we need to love a lot of people. Sometimes people can be harder to love than others. But we need to love them anyway. And we need to love at all times. There are a lot of opportunities for which we're called to dispense and give love. And sometimes it can be harder to give love than at other times. And that's because we're limited people. We are limited in our time. We're limited in our mental energy. We're limited in our physical strength. We're limited in our capacity to love. And I think a lot of us have encountered this because maybe we leave church on Sunday and we're on fire. And Monday mornings and we text our groups and we're encouraging each other and we're loving each other. That we go to work and we try our best to love our coworkers that we like and the ones that we don't like. The bosses that we like and don't like. The clients that we like and don't like. And then we keep going throughout the week and we love our children's teachers and we love the people at the store. But eventually it runs out and someone, maybe a spouse, maybe a partner, maybe a kid does the wrong thing. And we discovered, oh, wow, at some point I ran out of love. And we snap. Or this lack of love reveals itself. Limited in our ability to love. We also are imperfect people. We all understand that no one is perfect aside from Jesus. The problem is that imperfect people can only produce imperfect love. Now, we would all, I'm sure, want to love people as best as possible. Like, theoretically, I'd love to give Jerrica and Ali and my mom perfect love. I wouldn't choose to, hey, I'm only going to give you 90% of my best. I'm going to intentionally dial back the dial today. No, we'd want to give perfect love. We're just not capable of that. Imperfect people can only produce imperfect love. So what we have here is Limitless people to love, limitless opportunities to love, and an unlimited need for love, but only a limited capacity with which to meet that need. And when we find ourselves with this gap between the love that we can provide and the love that others can provide and the need for love out there in the world, well, bad things come in to fill that gap. Now, we read the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, let's go more toward the end. Verses 29 to 31. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So the standard for love continues to be high. Right? It says, let all corrupting talk be put away from you. Corrupting talk can refer to things like cussing, swearing. 
It can refer to things like gossip. Generally, it's anything that's not going to build up those who hear it. Paul says, put all of it away. Heisman, push it away. Give it the stiff arm. Don't deal with it. And let all bitterness be put away from you. The bitterness that comes from us and the bitterness around us. Put it away. Let all anger and clamor and slander and malice or ill will push it all out of the picture. Again, trees of green, red roses, wonderful world. But instead of putting it all away, we see it all the time. We're all witnesses of it. And in some respects and to some extent, we are all victims of it. And we are all participants in it. When love falls short, things like corrupting talk and bitterness and slander come in to fill its place. And these things cause us to be distant from each other and distant from God. You know, this past week, uh, I mean, we all do it, and I will talk about myself in order for us to face what happens in our lives. But I woke up one morning already burdened by everything I had on my schedule. I'm going to Hawaii in the middle of, actually, I leave tonight, to take part in a seminar and to help coach people there. I was thinking about the campus conference and thinking about preparing this sermon and a sermon that I had to turn in. That's, due, that's happening a month from now. So I'm a little stressed out, and my love is running short. And my wife comes back in, and she asks me for something at the point at which my love ran short. Now, that's nothing on her. My wife should be able to ask me for anything she needs. But even though I didn't say anything, my frustration and my lack of love came out on my face. And she told me about it, and we talked through it, and we're good. But my love fell short, and anger and slander, not even at a person, just at the world. The world is not wonderful. The world is not fair. It just came out, and it caused a momentary distance between my wife and I. And by the way, when we have distance between our spouses, it's inevitable that we'll have distance between us and God. These things also come into the picture and cause us to feel distance from God. That scripture there in verse 31 said, do not grieve, verse 30, excuse me, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve is so strong. What it's telling us is that when we choose to allow corrupting talk to come into the picture, we don't push it away. When we are bitter, when we're angry, when we slander, when we cause clamor, which is raising our voices and slamming things around to make our point. When we have ill will toward people, that grieves God. It makes him sad breaks his heart. And when these things come into the picture, the Holy Spirit can't help but be distant from us because he doesn't want to be around that stuff. And sometimes we might feel distant from God because we'd rather hold on to these things instead. That's what happens when love falls short. All these ugly things come in. They fill the gap where love falls short and they push us away from God and they push us away from each other. And these things can snowball to where over time we're fighting about things and we can't even remember why. This is where it starts. Because love falls short. 
So what are we supposed to do when love falls short? Well, thankfully, God gives us a clue, and we passed it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Because Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, the word therefore is really important. Because whenever we see the word therefore in Scripture, it's connecting the current idea or statement to an idea that came before it. So we need to follow the trail like a detective and see what God says. Because whatever he said before is the answer to what we do when love falls short. And when we follow that clue, we we see that we need to experience God's love. We need to experience God's love first because God's love is our shelter. Now, Ephesians is one of my favorite books throughout the entire Bible. Uh, It's probably my favorite Pauline epistle. And one of the things that I love about the book of Ephesians is the way the book is structured. A little nerdy, but please excuse me. Uh, Especially in the way it deals with imperatives. Uh, An imperative is a command word. Um, Obey. Imperative. uh, Serve. Go. Give. These are imperatives, command words. The funny thing about the book of Ephesians is that there are no imperatives in chapter 1. There's one imperative or command in chapter 2. And there are no imperatives in chapter 3. And then there are more than 30 from verses four through, uh, chapters 4 through 6. Now the reason for that is because everything we do as Christians is built on the foundation of everything Christ has already done. The one imperative in Ephesians chapter 2 is remember. Remember who you are. It's not serve, it's not give, it's not go. It's remember. Remember what Jesus did for you first. Remember that you are far from God and he came to bring you in. Remember that we're saved by grace through faith and not works. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship and masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Remember that. And after you remember it, do everything else. First half of Ephesians has one imperative. The rest has everything else. Because what we do as Christians comes from what was already done. And the clearest place we see this in the chapter is in the bridge, if you will, from the end of Ephesians 3 to the beginning of Ephesians 4. So we read the beginning of Ephesians 4. Now let's read the end of Ephesians 3. Because this gives us the means by which to fulfill the command to love one another. Even though our love falls short. Here's how we're supposed to do it. Ephesians 3, we'll start in verse 17. And it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this passage of Scripture actually starts in verse 14, and it really reads like a long, run-on sentence. This would have all kinds of red, squiggly underlines, all kinds of blue underlines. you got to go back and check that grammar, Paul. But the reason why he's rambling on is because he's excited about the love of God. He's excited to tell people about it. When it says to know the love of Christ in the Scripture, it's not talking about knowing a fact. It's talking about more than information, and it's referring to experiential knowing. 
knowing from first-hand experience. Because God wants us to experience his love in a way that overwhelms us. He wants us to experience his love in a way that surrounds us on all sides. Breath or width and length and height and depth. Surrounded on all sides. Sheltered by the love of God. You know, sometimes we try to shelter ourselves in other things. You know, we know that love falls short. Maybe someone's love fell short for us. Or maybe our love falls short for others. And as a result, we try to escape and find shelter in something else. So we try to find shelter in media. We try to turn to the TV, to some favorite program. Maybe if the drama of your own life is too much, you try to find drama on TV. So you keep up with the Kardashians. Or you watch, this is us. I can't understand. Like, I'm already sad. Why do I need your life to make me sad? Or on the other end of that spectrum, maybe you watch the Game Show Network. Or maybe you watch the Hallmark Channel, right, Mom? It's not even Christmas. But we're trying to escape and be sheltered in media. Or maybe we want to be sheltered in social media. Or maybe we want to be sheltered in our hobby. We're trying to escape because love has fallen short. Sometimes we can even try to be sheltered by our spouse or partner. And that's actually a mistake to do that. Now, we're supposed to share life with one another. We're supposed to be open and transparent and enjoy life together, but we can't shelter one another. We can place each other in God's spot unintentionally. We can turn each other into idols. And we turn each other into idols when we expect our spouse, expect our partner to have attributes that only God has or to meet needs that only God can fulfill. One author named Laura Dianchamont wrote this for Servants of Grace. Uh, I like her perspective here. She says, I used to put unrealistic expectations on my husband. Now, husbands, say amen. Now, wives, this is true for you too. Say amen. I used to put unrealistic expectations on my husband to fix my anxiety and depression. When he failed to do so, I became angry or disappointed in him because he could not bring me the relief I so desired. I wanted to be able to look to him in those desperate times of pain and fear and find complete comfort and healing for my problems. If we only look to our husbands or wives to bring us complete healing or to rescue us from life's challenges, we will be sorely disappointed. Why? Because they are incapable of doing so. We're supposed to share life with one another, but we cannot shelter one another. We cannot protect one another from every individual hurt. We cannot provide every answer or meet every demand for love. That's not in us. Instead, God wants us to take shelter in him. Because we have an infinite need for love, and only God has the inf infinite capacity to provide all the love that we need. Sometimes we need shelter because we've been hurt. Maybe someone's love fell short and we were hurt by that. Maybe we were affected when somebody else's love falls short. Well, take shelter in God. Take that shelter in Him. Let the love of God meet all the needs that no one else's love can meet. Reach the places that no one else's love can reach. Whether it's a near place, a shallow place, 
Maybe you weren't recognized this week by someone who should have recognized you. Maybe you weren't thanked. Maybe you didn't feel appreciated. Let God meet that need. You know, God sees everything we give him. He doesn't miss a single thing. And even if we don't get treasure on earth, we will get treasure in heaven when our work and sacrifice is rendered unto God. He's not going to miss any of it. And we take comfort in that now. He can meet every single need for love. Or maybe we need to take shelter in him while we are being made whole. You know, a patient can go to a hospital because there's some kind of problem inside them that needs to be corrected. And maybe the problem was genetic and it's just there from birth. Or maybe some of us, we think we're a little younger than we really are. And we cause the problems ourselves through our habits or through our choices. But the point is that they go to the hospital and they get fixed up. And if the surgery is intensive, maybe this hospital provides shelter until that person is healed. And God wants to do the same for us when he makes us whole. Because obviously we have things that God needs to remove from us. We all participate in the corrupt talk and bitterness and wrath and anger and slander, etc., etc. God wants to remove this from us. He wants to take it from us. But he's not going to take it from us and send us out into the cold. He's going to take it from us and shelter us as we heal and learn and get stronger. He wants to make us whole. That's what God does. So because God does this and we, we, can, we can be confident in him, we need to be able to bring our mistakes and problems to God. No mistake, no problem is bigger than the love of God for us. And we can make big mistakes. We can do things that have ramifications that go far beyond us. In fact, we probably don't even know the full extent of our sin. Because we don't know how to affect the person closest to us. And how that impact will then ripple on to the person behind them. But the love of God is always going to be bigger than the consequences of our sin. And because the love of God is always bigger, we can always bring every mistake to him. Yesterday's mistakes, today's mistakes, and tomorrow's. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sin, for all time. We don't need to stick him back on the cross. He died for all sin, for all time. And that means we can bring it to him tomorrow too. Let's bring all of our mistakes to God because he cares for us. <coughs> Excuse me. This is what the Bible declares in Psalm 46, 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength in ever-present help in trouble. God wants to be your refuge and strength regardless of what's going on, whether we've been hurt when love fell short or whether we need to be made whole. We can go to God as our shelter. We can go to God to experience his love. And after we experience God's love, we extend God's love. God's love is our standard, and God's love is our source. So let's read the final verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Now it's going to give us some commands. It'll give us some imperatives, but it'll also give us the means by which we fulfill these commands of God. Ephesians 4, 32. It's our last scripture. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave the love of Jesus for us is the standard by which we love one another.
you know, we don't serve a God who's telling us to do something that he didn't do first. Sometimes religion will do that. Religion will say, hey, be kind. The most mean way possible, right? Hey, be kind to people. Love them. Forgive. But the gospel says, God was kind to me. Even though I was an enemy of God, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Before I ever gave him a thing, Jesus offered perfect love to someone who didn't deserve it. Jesus was tender-hearted toward me. Jesus forgave me. That's the standard that we live for. And by that standard, we love one another. But that's a high standard. How on earth are we ever going to fulfill this standard? It's because God's love is our source, too. We experience God's love before we need to extend it. You know, one of the most useful things I got for Christmas this year, excuse me, from my in-laws, was a pair of AirPods. I love these things. They're so useful. Like, I can leave them on transparent mode to hear the noises around me in case I need to hear my family. Or I could put them on noise-canceling mode if I need to zone in and get my work done. I look forward to using noise-canceling mode on the plane. Or I could use them for a phone call. Or I could watch a video and do chores. They're cool. But my biggest complaint about the AirPods might be my only complaint. They don't seem to last that long. Right? People are agreeing with me. If you have a set, you know this. The battery life, it's limited. What it can give is limited. So what do we do? We put them back in the case. And when you put it back in the case, it charges. You reconnect the AirPods to its source. And the case itself has to be connected to power because it needs a source too. Well, you know, once we've experienced the love of God and we learn to love like Jesus, we can be pretty awesome. We can do some amazing things. And we can be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. And we can be like operatives of God in the world around us, representing Jesus with the way that we speak and live our lives. But we're going to run dry. So what do we do? Plug back into the source. Instead of trying to take shelter on Instagram, maybe you click over one screen and go to the Bible app. I really like, you know, everybody's got their own taste in music, but I enjoyed last week's Super Bowl halftime show. I get down. But maybe instead of listening to Dr. Dre, I need to listen to Lecrae. Maybe I need to listen to Hillsong or something. I love Vista worship. Choosing to connect to the source. Choosing to lean into the Spirit of God. Maybe instead of picking up my phone or finding somebody around me and talking all kind of mess, maybe I can just talk to Jesus about my stress. Connecting to the source. God wants us to come to Him to experience His love so that we can extend His love. And that's what we do when love falls short. We can be so burdened by this endless demand and command of God to love people. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. 
We're on the same page. It's hard. But in spite of how hard it can be to love and how hard it can be when love falls short, we can go to God, experience his love, allow him to be our shelter. And after we've allowed him to be our shelter, and after we've experienced his love, we can extend his love because his love is also our source. So let's go to God as our shelter, our standard, and our source. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you don't command us to love without fulfilling everything we need to fulfill that command. You give us what we need. So Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. First, I pray that you would shelter us. Lord, I know a lot of us are going through things. We're busy. Things have happened in our family. Maybe love has fallen short. God, shelter us in your love. In fact, I pray even in this moment that we would experience your love like a swell rising up inside of us. Your love is a fount that never runs dry. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us knowing that we are your children and nothing in the world can change that. Give us comfort that comes only from you. And help us choose this week to go to you, to experience your love first, then extend it to others in the way you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for one more group of people. I don't know if this applies to anyone here this morning, but if we could just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed to make this a safe place for people to respond. Now, you might be here hearing about the love of God, and you realize that's not something I really have. I don't really have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, God wants you to know that it's available and free. And all you have to do is believe in it and accept it. Accept it like a gift. So if that's you this morning and you want to experience God's love through a relationship with Jesus Christ, your own relationship with him, then why don't you raise your hand on the count of three so we can pray for you. One, two, three. Anybody here? All family today? Cool. Then God, as we close... I just pray that your kids would come spend time with their heavenly dad. Lord, I pray that we would experience your love in greater ways than ever before, that we wouldn't be limited by what we experienced a long time ago, whether it be at a great moment like a conference or that one sermon, that one time. Lord, I pray that each of us would connect to the source of our love this week and experience your love anew. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.